Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 to 22. This evening we're continuing the series on personal problems and um, I'm going to preach on backsliding this evening. Revelation 3, verse 14 to 22 on backsliding. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we come to you tonight, we pray that the Holy Spirit would work in a marvelous way to reclaim backsliders, even as David, after his backsliding and confession and his restoration, prayed and said, Lord, if you do this for me, if you restore me, then I will teach transgressors your way. And I pray that you would teach by your great grace and by the truth of your word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would teach backsliders your way, transgressors your way, and you would restore them to yourself, even in this very night. For Jesus' name, for Jesus' sake, and in his name, we pray. Amen. So this evening I'm going to preach on backsliding and then next Sunday evening on the unpardonable sin, the sin against the Holy Spirit. So let us read Revelation 3 verse 14 to 22. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either hot or cold. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And solve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So first of all, we can look at the problem, and then secondly at the solution. So the problem, that's in verse 15 to 17. It would help us to have a bit of background of this city, Laodicea, so that we can better understand backsliding. So Laodicea is or was in the southwestern part of modern-day Turkey at the Lycus River. And Epaphras was probably the guy who planted the church uh, from Colossians 1 verse 7 and Colossians chapter 4 verse 12 and 13. And Paul wrote a letter to this church. We don't have it in our Bibles. Um, some think it may have been the letter to the Ephesians also, but uh, I don't think so. We don't have it in our Bibles, but he did write another letter in our Bibles, Colossians, and that was also read to the church in Laodicea. 
And we learn that from Colossians 4, verse 15 and 16. Paul never met them, or at least when he wrote the letter to the Colossians, he hadn't met them. In Colossians 2, verse 1, we see that. Uh, and never mind to, to bring it to the point. So that's Laodicea and a bit of background. And there were two other cities close by. And I don't know how to pronounce this. I think Hierapolis um, is the correct pronunciation. That was uh, 10 kilometers north of Laodicea. And then Colossae, which was 14 and a half kilometers to the east. And there were hot springs, hot water springs at Hierapolis. And you can even, you can even see it today. I checked pictures on the internet. It's, it's stunningly beautiful. And you've got these... Um, hot water springs, and as the water flows down, because it's got such a high um, concentrate of calcium carbonate, the water flows and it leaves this deposit of calcium, and it forms terraces. And you can see the water coming down in cascades, flowing down the mountain. And because there are so many minerals in the water, it's got a high... Uh, value of medicinal properties and medicinal value. And then if you look at Colossae toward the east, they had cold, fresh water. But now you come to Laodicea and they have no natural resources for drinking water. Well, the Lycus River is close by, but it dries up in summer. And even when it doesn't dry up, it's it's got a almost like a cloudiness in the water, milkiness, because of the white mud, and it, you can't drink the water. So what they needed to do to get water, because Arapolis is higher, they would they, uh, lay stone pipes, aqueducts, to transport the water from Arapolis to Laodicea. And you can even see the ruins of these stone pipes, the aqueduct today. And so they brought the water from Hierapolis to Laodicea. So it was hot water in Hierapolis, and by the time it reaches Laodicea, it's lukewarm. And you can drink it, but it is, it's nauseating. It makes you sick, at least for people who aren't used to it. And that's exactly how Jesus says this church is to him in verse 15. He says, you lukewarm. You are lukewarm. You make me sick. I want to vomit you. I want to vomit you out of my mouth, verse 16. Literally what the Greek word means, vomit. Because Jesus, Jesus had now seen and he knows. He knows their hearts and he knows their works. Verse 15, you are neither hot nor or cold nor hot. Whether you were either cold or hot, because you are lukewarm and neither cold, hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. He knows the hearts of all men. Verse 15, I know your works. He knows Chapter 1, verse 14, he has eyes like a flame of fire. Chapter 2, verse 23, I am the one who searches mind and heart. I know exactly who you are. I can see that you're lukewarm. And may we not be like these Laodiceans. May we not be lukewarm. May we not become spiritually lukewarm. But rather let us, let us be like the waters of Hierapolis. Warm water, hot water. May we be like the water of Colossae. Cold water. Hot or cold, he says, both are beneficial. Let us not be lukewarm. Let us be radical, radical in our devotion to Jesus, denying ourselves, taking up our cross every day and following Christ. 
Let our love, let our zeal for Jesus be boiling. Romans 12 verse 11. Or verse 19 of our text. Be zealous. And let us take the gospel to the lost. And let it be like cold, refreshing cold water. Proverbs 25, 25. So this, this passage doesn't mean be cold, i.e. unconverted, or be hot, i.e. be zealous for the Lord, you're a boiling Christian. No, 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 the cold and the hot are beneficial. It both means be saved, be beneficial to your neighbor, be boiling in your love for Christ, do good to others. Is it true of you? Or have you become lukewarm? You've become used to sin. Because lawlessness increases, the love of many will grow cold. You've, you've become used to sin. And you start, you, you've, you've started cherishing sin in your heart. And you will not break with your sin. Or perhaps on the other hand, have you become spiritually hardened? So hardened that your conscience no longer bothers you when you sin. In the past it would. You would never have done that in the past. But now your conscience has become hardened. And nowadays you sin boldly. You sin without fear. You no longer hear the voice of the Spirit when He warns you. And even the best sermons on the cross of Jesus for our sins, the best sermons on heaven and the holiness of God and hell, it doesn't even move you. You are so hard. Your heart has become callous. Even when we take the Lord's table when we sing songs of worship, when we spend time in prayer, when you hear the promises of God. And you know, if that's the path you choose to walk, this is what's going to happen. Later on, you're going to start making excuses for why you miss the gathering of the saints, the gathering of believers. Where actually the truth is, you avoid believers because they make you feel uncomfortable. And you feel much more comfortable with unbelievers. And you even enjoy worldly entertainment. And you start avoiding the people who really care about you. And you start hanging out with people who, who don't care a whit about the way you live. They don't care a whit about your sin. You're more afraid of what they will think of you than what God thinks of you. And if anyone speaks to you about your sin, you, you become angry. You become angry at them. You even feel guilty if they just ask you a simple, straightforward question. How are you doing? And you feel guilty. And you start defending yourself, even though they did not accuse you. The wicked run where no one pursues. And because you feel guilty and you want to get the, um, shift the attention from your own sin, you become hypercritical about other people. So you've got this massive beam in your own eyes, but you seek for splinters in their eyes. And that then becomes your excuse for why you start avoiding the word of God, why you start avoiding the gathering of the believers, why you're not here anymore. Oh no, Christians, you say, Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. But that's only a smokescreen because the truth is you're the hypocrite. You're the hypocrite. And before you realize you're so far gone that eternal things no longer matter to you. Everything, everything has become the here and the now. You live for the here and the now. You live for the moment. You've become materialistic. And so you really like the church in Laodicea. And you say in verse 17, I'm rich. I've prospered. I need nothing. You know, Laodicea was a rich city indeed. It was very rich and they were known for 
uh, for their banks, the banking system, in the year AD 60, the city was almost totally destroyed by an earthquake. And when the Roman Empire from the Royal Treasury, when they said, well, we'll, we'll give a subsidy to help you rebuild the city, the citizens of Laodicea said, thanks but no thanks. We're rich enough. We don't need your help. And that was exactly the same attitude that this, this church had. You know, who needs God? Who needs Jesus if you have money? And so they say in verse 17, I need nothing, I'm rich. And they, they really, they felt proud and they felt self-confident and complacent. Self-congratulation. So I'm rich, I'm rich. And they didn't realize that whatever riches they had came from God in the first place. It's God who gives us the power to create wealth and to get wealth, Deuteronomy 8 verse 18. God is the one who gives riches, Hosea 1, where they thought it's their idols giving it. God said, I'm the one who gave you. I'm the one who gave you your oil and your grain and your wine and, and so on. And then, furthermore, the, the medical school in Laodicea and the, the Phrygian eye powder. Phrygia is the, um, the area or the province, not province quite, but it's the area where the city of Laodicea was situated. And so, Phrygian eye powder, medical school, and their clothes and rugs and carpets made of uh, black sheep wool, raven black, this fine wool. And that made them think, oh, I'm healthy, I can see. And just praising themselves. And Jesus says, no, you're not, no, you're not. Verse 17, you don't even realize you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. That's how you are spiritually. Just like the Pharisees in the end of, at the end of John 9. Or like the people in Second Peter 1 verse 9. They become blind. So how about you? How about you? What does your relationship with Jesus look like? Is your heart with Christ? Or does your heart lie with the world? Have you become like the Word of Faith movement, the prosperity gospel? You've become like the Laodiceans. And so you start measuring your prosperity and your success. You start measuring it against. This is the, uh, the measuring stick is, is materialism. It's money. Well, do you, do you think that you can come right on your own? You don't need the Lord like these loudest sins? And then it really becomes visible in your life. It becomes visible because you start neglecting the word and prayer and the gathering of the saints. And where will it end? Who knows? Who knows where it will end? Proverbs 29 verse 1. If one often stiffens his neck, if, you've often, if you are often reproved yet stiffen your neck, you will suddenly be broken beyond healing. So how do you turn around the ship? Secondly, the solution. And that's in verse 14 and verse 18 to 22. And there are six solutions in this passage, six that I could find. The first one is, if you want to solve backsliding, number one, respond positively to the word. The late Martin Holt, 
used to tell us a story about a certain pastor called Fred Arnott, who was the grandson of the great Scottish missionary. And Fred, Fred Arnott went to study at a liberal Baptist seminary in Switzerland, Rishlikon. And his faith was shattered. He was so confused. And one Lord's Day, one day he went to England and he attended a service at Westminster Chapel. Martin Lloyd-Jones was the preacher. And Fred Arnott was so gripped in his heart and he wept as he heard Martin Lloyd-Jones preaching with power, preaching as if he believed the Bible to be the Word of God. And later on, Fred Arnott came back to South Africa and he pastored a Baptist church, as I remember the story. Um, I hope I remember correctly, but he pastored a Baptist church in Funabale Park. And Fred Arnott, again, he started wrestling with this liberal theology, the false things he had been taught at seminary. And he pleaded with God out of desperation and said, Lord, if this gospel is true, I plead with you, save the greatest sinner in Funabale Park. And the Lord answered his prayer. A man came to church who was known for being a very wretched and wicked man. And God saved him. And Fred Arnott realized that not only had God saved this evil man, but God had saved Fred Arnott. What I'm trying to say to you is we need the word of God and prayer if we want to overcome backsliding. That is what Jesus basically said to the Laodicean church. He said, you, all of you, those of you who have spiritual ears to hear, verse 22, if your spiritual ears are open, listen to me. Listen to the words that I speak to you by the Spirit, verse 22. Hear what the Spirit says. Hear my words, verse 14. The words I speak through the Spirit that the Spirit has given the Apostle John to write. Verse 14, write the message that your pastor, the angel of the church, verse 14, angel there doesn't mean holy angel in heaven, it means messenger, and it's obviously the pastor of the church. To that angel of the church, he must convey the message, he must read this letter to you, and you must listen to my message. And that is what Jesus does with this church this evening. Knocking at our door. Knocking through this very message you are hearing tonight. Verse 20, I stand at the door and I knock. Listen. Listen to what Jesus is telling you. Listen to his word and respond positively. And let us open the doors of our church to Jesus. Let us open the door of our lives to Jesus. Verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door. Open the door. Now please note, this verse is not speaking about evangelism. 
It's not speaking about going out evangelizing and the sinner must open the door of his heart. It's speaking about the backslider, the backsliding church, the backsliding individual that must open the door of his life to Christ. Open the door of your church. This verse is about people. They have locked Jesus out of his own church. They have locked Jesus out of their lives. Because they've chosen and preferred the world above Christ. Have you locked Jesus out of your life? Because you've filled your life with other things than Christ. Well then hear this evening. Hear this evening if Christ knocks at your door through the word. And open the door. Verse 20. And ask him to enter. Even if everyone around you, <coughs> everyone around you, they've fallen into backsliding, your family, the church you belong to, the children in your school, the people at your work, even if everyone else has backslidden, you can still open the door and enjoy Fellowship with Christ as you did in days past. Verse 19. If anyone hears my voice. If you open the door, he says, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You can enjoy fellowship. You can enjoy once again Fellowship with Jesus. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. He will come in him and the Father. He and the Father will come and dwell with you and make their dwelling with you, Jesus said. And you will eat with him at the Lord's table. You'll have fellowship with him as you hear the word and feed on the word and spend time in prayer and fellowship with other believers. And if you repent of your sin, then what, what will happen is Jesus will not let you wait for days and weeks and for months. He will restore you immediately. I will come in if he opens the door, verse 20. It will be like the prodigal son. The moment he decided to return, his father ran toward him and embraced him and kissed him and gave him the best robe and ring and shoes and a feast. So if Jesus will restore you immediately, why wait? Why wait any longer? Why wait to repent? Why not do verse 19? Be zealous and repent. Be zealous. Repent immediately and be forgiven. And ask Christ to lead you on the right path. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your testimonies. Verse 19, be zealous and repent. And if you don't do so swiftly, if you do not respond quickly, then Satan will take this word. He will steal the word you hear tonight. He will steal it from your heart. And you will not respond. And you will not repent. And you will continue on the path to the path of destruction and you will harden your heart even further. A second solution is be careful of evil influences. That's in verse 14. To the church, to the angel of the church, the church. 
COVID-19 is highly contagious. Backsliding is highly contagious. If one backslides, you know how sh what sheep are like. If one backslides, the rest follow. If one backslides, it won't be long and others will start doing the same. A root of bitterness and it spreads its evil poison. It spreads its bitterness. I mean, in Revelation 3, you see a whole church who is backslidden. And that especially happens where there's no church discipline to remove the yeast. To remove the leaven of false teaching and sin out of the church. And this false teaching and the sinful life that flows from it, this false te teaching usually comes through sermons you, people start listening to on the internet or in some church or through so-called Christian books and they pick up the false teaching and they get infected or it comes through a friend or a family member or a colleague who's part of a cult or it comes through some false teaching at university whether it's evolution or liberal theology so I hope you can see uh, do you see how, how false teaching is one of Satan's greatest weapons that he uses to tempt people to backslide. Like in Jeremiah 23, in verse 32, God speaks of the false prophets. Behold, I'm against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and recklessness. Or in Matthew 24, in verse 5, we read of Jesus, who says, Many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Verse 11, Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. That is how backsliding often starts. So do not play with false teaching. Even though you know your Bible well. Demons are behind false teachers. Demons will lead you astray. 1 Timothy 4 verse 1. Ian Murray says, We underestimate the influence of Satan at our peril. So I want to encourage you to grow in your knowledge of Scripture and to be obedient to what you learn. And then also to spend time with other people who love the word and who strive to obey the word. He who walks with the wise becomes wise. And so you want to encourage one another and spur one another unto love and good works, not neglecting the gathering of ourselves together or the assembling of ourselves, and that all the more as you see the day drawing near. Third solution is meditate on Christ. Verse 14. Jesus describes himself, himself in that verse. I'll, we, we'll, I'll explain it in a moment. I once spoke to a person who was busy having an adulterous affair at that time. And uh, I said to the person, you're not doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. And the person responded by saying, but God wants me to be happy. And that is what backsliders do. Backsliders create a Jesus. They create a Jesus in their own imagination. 
They create a Jesus with which they feel comfortable. They create a Jesus who does not care that they are busy living in sin. And so we need the opposite. We need a right view of Jesus Christ. We need to meditate on who Christ is. Now I can say a lot about this. You can have a whole sermon or a series of sermons on this, but I just want to focus on verse 14. Jesus is the Amen, the faithful wit and true witness, verse 14, the beginning of God's creation. What does that mean? Well, the word Amen, the Hebrew word Amen, means let it be so. It means truly. Uh, Isaiah 65, verse 16 in the Hebrew speaks of Yahweh, the God of Israel, and it speaks of him as the God of the Amen, the God of Amen, the God of truth. The Hebrew word there is Amen. And so Jesus, in other words, Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is the one, the God of Amen. He is the Amen, verse 14. Amen. He's the one who fulfills the promises of the Father. All God's promises in Christ are yes and amen. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. And then also, Jesus is the faithful and true witness. Jeremiah 42 verse 5 speaks of God as, as Yahweh. It speaks of him as the faithful and true witness. And yet Jesus is the faithful and true witness. So Jesus again, once again, is Yahweh, the God of Israel. Chapter 19, verse 11, speaks of him as the one who is faithful and true. Same as here. And so what Jesus really is saying, he's the faithful and true witness. He says, I am not unfaithful like you. I am faithful and true. And then he also introduces himself as the beginning of God's creation. Now that doesn't mean he's the first creature God made. Uh, the Greek word arche means that he is the origin of God's creation. He's the beginning, the origin. In other words, he is the almighty creator of all things. John 1 verse 3, Colossians 1 verse 15 and 16. He is the almighty creator who can not only change your heart, but who can destroy those who will not repent of their backsliding. And so it's as if he's saying here, I am amen. I am true. I am faithful. So don't be unfaithful. And the same for us this evening. If you've backslidden, no longer be unfaithful. But return to the Lord. And be faithful to Jesus who has never, never been unfaithful to you. The fourth solution is Choose the eternal above the temporary. That's in verse 18. So we have in the Bible the example of Lot, who started loving the world. We have the example of Lot's wife, who so loved the world that she simply couldn't walk looking straight ahead. She longed back for the world. She turned around and became a pillar of salt. In the New Testament, we have the example of Demas. Demas, who was a co-worker of the Apostle Paul, but he turned his back on Jesus because he fell in love with the world. 2 Timothy 4, verse 10. And Laodicea the same. We have the example of Laodicea. They, they had all this, this worldly prosperity, 
money and riches. And yet Jesus said, spiritually, you are dirt poor. You are blind as a bat. You are stark naked. Verse 18. Middle of the verse. See that? How Jesus speaks to them. And so what Jesus does is he counsels them in verse 18. He counsels them, I want you to buy from me, he says. And obviously, Isaiah 55 is one, I want you to buy this from me, and you buy it for free. You don't need money. You need faith. You need repentance. I want you to buy from me, he says in verse 18, gold refined by fire. Buy the pure gold of God's word from me. Because Psalm 19 and 119 compare God's word compares the word of God to gold. I want you to buy from me this gold of eternal life. I want you to buy from me the gold of a pure faith, of a true faith that is refined by fire. That's the gold you should buy. Treasures in heaven, the treasure of eternal life. Sell everything you have. Buy that field where the treasure is. Buy that pearl of great price. The riches that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, the grace of God, the riches of His grace, the riches of His glory. In the book of Ephesians, the riches of Christ. And then your faith must be purified by fire through trials. And I want you to buy from me, verse 18, white garments that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. Buy the white clothes of Christ's righteousness. As we read in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, and verse 13 and 14, the white robes that has been washed in the blood of the Lamb. The robes that has been washed in Revelation 22.14. The white robes that are the righteous deeds of the saints also in Revelation 19. Verse 8. And chapter 3. This chapter, verse 4 and 5. And this white, these white robes of Christ's righteousness stand in contrast. They are contrasted to the, the clothes that these Laodiceans wore that was made of this expensive and very fine black sheep's wool. And if they got the righteousness of Christ, it's like he's saying, you don't need to be ashamed. You don't need to feel ashamed like Adam and Eve did because of their nudity, their nakedness. Cover the shame of your nakedness with the righteousness of Christ by believing in Christ. And then I want you to buy from me, end of verse 18, solve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Oh yes, this is solved much better than your Phrygian eye powder. It's much better. This is soul that can give you spiritual sight. It's soul there where you are blinded by Satan. God will shine the light into your heart. He will give you eyes to see. And aren't these treasures, aren't these treasures so much better than all the temporary treasures the world can offer? What does Jesus say? What is it? What does it help that a man gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? What does it help you've got these worldly and earthly and temporary treasures? Why not exchange them for heavenly treasures? And then fifthly, fifth solution is, humble yourself under God's discipline. Verse 19. I remember a Shepherds Conference in 2003. The speaker, Jerry Ragg, told us the story of a man who had backslidden uh, either the man was an unbeliever or he had backslidden. Uh, nevertheless, so this man, Jerry Ragg had spoken to him before and shared the gospel and he wouldn't repent. 
And then one day the guy went camping and he got attacked by a bear. And he landed in hospital. He survived the attack and Jerry Drag went to see him in hospital and pleaded with him to repent. And the man still wouldn't. And he warned him. He said, if you do not repent, something worse will come. And not long after that, the guy got, I don't know if it was a year later or something, the guy got attacked by a shark. And again, he survived the attack. But still he would not repent. Do not be like that man. See the love of Jesus in his discipline. See his love and repent of your sin. Verse 19, those whom I love are reproved and disciplined, so be zealous and repent. Don't make things worse for yourself. As David teaches us in Psalm 32, in verse 9, Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. And then finally, think of the reward. Verse 21. That's a solution. I read a story in a book of a, a man who went to his wife and said, I'm, I'm strongly tempted at work to commit sexual sin. And he asked his wife, said, he bared his heart and said, please, will you pray for me? And she felt hurt, but she did pray for him. And he didn't fall into sexual sin. Her prayer was answered, and he overcame the temptation. He resisted. And two years later, the man died. And that woman was so full of thankfulness that her husband had the courage to share his temptation and to ask for prayer, and that she prayed and he didn't fall into temptation. And he remained faithful to her to the day of his death. Now, the, I, I use that as an illustration to say, can you think how thankful you will be on the judgment day if you did not continue backsliding, but if you repented? Can you think of the joy if you did what verse 21 says, the one who conquers, you conquered lukewarmness. You conquered it. And verse 21 you, you then sit with Jesus on his throne as he also conquered sin, we know, and sat down with, the, with his Father on his throne. Just think of that. When you rule with Christ over the new creation, Revelation 5 verse 10, think of that. And if you believe God's word, and you live according to God's word, and you, you persevere in that, you will not only save yourself, but you will save many others with you. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching, Timothy. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save yourself as well as those who hear you. And will it not be a happy day, a joyful day, when you and your loved ones stand before the throne of Jesus and He gives you the crown of life which he promises to all who stand and remain steadfast under trial. Let's pray. Blessed Lord Jesus, the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, we worship you. And pray that you would keep us, Lord.
Oh, help us to submit to your discipline, to repent of our sin, and to buy from you gold and salve and white garments, spiritual gifts of the righteousness of Christ and eternal life and spiritual sight. Give us this gift, Lord, and help us to receive it with glad hearts and generous hearts that will take the message to others that they too may receive the life that is in Jesus. Amen.